Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? I heard about a flight instructor who had a student up in an airplane. It was a little single-engine Cessna. Do we need the lights up? There they go. I want to see people. He was up in a little single-engine Cessna, and he turned to his student pilot and said, Son, I think it's time to take her in for a landing. Are you ready to go down? And the student looked at him and said, No problem. Let's do it. And as they were approaching the runway, the instructor looked over at the student and was amazed at what he saw because he was as calm as a cucumber. Normally, students who were making their very first landing were wide-eyed and nervous and trembling. They were sweating bullets. But this student pilot was as cool as the other side of the pillow. And so he thought to himself, this guy is going to make a tremendous pilot. And then they hit the runway with a thud. And the plane bounced 50 feet up into the air. And then it hit the runway again and it bounced 30 feet up in the air. And then it hit the runway a third time and it blew out every tire and it skidded off the runway and ended up upside down in a cornfield. There they were, strapped upside down, staring at each other. The instructor said, Son, I have to be honest with you. That is the worst first landing any student of mine has ever made. And the student said, Me? I thought you were landing the plane. (laughs) Now that is an apt description of many people's lives today. They look like they're calm, they look like they're cool, they look like they're collected, but in reality, they are totally out of control. We live in a society today that is totally out of control. We're financially out of control. Americans are the most indebted people on earth. Household debt in America averages $71,500. Now that does not include the mortgage on your house. The average American is in debt $71,500. That's twice the average in Great Britain. That's 89 times the average in Switzerland. We owe more per household than any other nation in the world. In fact, we have more credit card debt in America than the gross national product of many third world countries. Many Americans can relate to professional golfer Doug Sanders who once said, I'm working as hard as I can to get my life and my cash to run out at the same time. I've got it all figured out. If I can die right after lunch on Tuesday, everything will work out great. We are financially out of control. And we're physically out of control. Did you know that every day in America we we eat 75 acres of pizza? We eat 53 million hot dogs. We eat 167 million eggs. We eat 3 million gallons of ice cream. We eat 3,000 tons of candy. Meanwhile, every day in America, we spend $2,021,918 on exercise equipment. 
And then we turn around and spend $3,561,644 on tortilla chips and $10,410,959 on potato chips. Every day in America, we drink 524 million servings of Coca-Cola and eat 2,739,726 Dunkin' Donuts. And meanwhile, every day in America, 101,280,321 adults go on a diet. In a recent television poll, they found that most Americans admitted they were on a diet. And if you go to Amazon.com, you know how many books they have on diet? 1,214. One California pathologist says that on the basis of autopsies, he has performed two out of every three deaths are premature. And he points to three major problems. Loafer's heart, smoker's lungs, and drinker's liver. Recent studies by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta reveal that 60% of Americans do not exercise regularly. There are two words we hate to hear. Discipline and exercise. Most of us are like the fellow who said... You know what I do every time I think about exercising? I sit down and rest until the feeling goes away. We are physically out of control. And we are emotionally out of control. Our highways have become battlefields. You have to be careful today who you honk your horn at. And our schoolyards and our office buildings have become shooting fields. And our homes that ought to be havens have become hazards. Our homes that ought to be places of peace have become places of peril. And terms like verbal abuse and physical abuse and spouse abuse and child abuse are all too familiar in our society. We are emotionally out of control. And we are morally out of control. Just about the time... I think that as a nation, we couldn't get any lower. I read this week about an off-Broadway play. It's entitled Corpus Christi. That means the body of Christ. It depicts a modern-day Jesus as a homosexual and the 12 disciples as his lovers. After a day of preaching, they spend the evening in a drunken orgy. And near the end of the play, Pilate asks... Are you the king of the queers? And Jesus says, It is as thou sayest. Now that play sold out every night of its eight-week run in a Manhattan theater. And the critics loved the idea, but they lamented the fact that it wasn't written or acted very well. Now when we have a society that will put up with and defend and pay to see that kind of garbage, we are morally out of control. Listen to Proverbs 25, 28. Like a city that is broken into 
and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Now, in Old Testament times, cities were usually built on hills. And the only defense that they had was the walls. And when the walls came down, the city was defenseless. That's what happened to Jericho. Solomon says, when the walls of self-control come down in a person's life, they become totally defenseless and easy prey to the enemy. Well, I want to tell you this morning that in a society of unwalled cities, in a society that is totally out of control, Paul's words in Galatians 5.23 still ring true today. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Now, you may not have paid a whole lot of attention to this characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit because it comes way down the list. In fact, it comes last in the list. But let me just show you how crucial this is. I want you to look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. There are two kinds of people that enter marathon races. There are those who are thinking about how they're going to finish, and there are those who are thinking about how they're going to win. And what is it that distinguishes those who want to win. Well, look at verse 25. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That word self-control is the same Greek word in Galatians 5.23. And Paul is saying what is true in a marathon race is true in life. The difference between victory and defeat is self-control. If you want to win in the race of life, you've got to exercise self-control. Now, with that in mind, let me say four things about self-control. I want to talk about the details, the danger, the demand, and then the delight. First of all, the details of self-control. What specific areas of life do we need self-control over? Well, the Bible mentions several, but I want to highlight three this morning. The first is your body, this flesh carton that you live inside of. The other day, I came across some people's thoughts on exercise. My grandmother started walking five miles a day when she was 60. She's 97 now, and we don't know where she is. I joined a health club last year, spent about 400 bucks, haven't lost a pound. Apparently, you have to show up. I don't exercise at all. If God meant for us to touch our toes, he would have put them further up on our bodies. I like long walks, especially when they're taken by people who annoy me. I have flabby thighs, but fortunately my stomach covers them. 
you're going to try cross-country skiing, start with a small country. And I don't jog, it makes the ice jump right out of my glass. You know, we all have excuses for not being in top physical condition. But what are your excuses for spiritual inactivity? You will not have victory in your Christian life unless you gain control over your body. That's why in the passage we just read where Paul tells us we have to have self-control to win, here's the example he gives in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How did Paul treat his body? He says he beat it up like a boxer does to defeat it. And he made it his slave. You say, well, why do I have to defeat my body? Why do I have to make my body my slave? Well, because if you don't, your body will defeat you and make you its slave. You know, the Bible tells us a very interesting thing in 1 John 2.16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Did you catch that? How does this world system, led by Satan, get at you and me? Well, it has connections on the inside. Because John says everything that is in the world is really connected to your body. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Your body generates all kinds of evil desires. And if you let it control you, it's going to say, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Stuff me with food. I don't feel like going to church. Satisfy my every sensual desire. Pamper me. You have to gain self-control over your body. And then a second area is your mind. In Romans 12, 2, Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your mind needs to be reprogrammed. I hear people say all the time, well, I've always thought. Well, you need to stop thinking what you've always thought and start thinking a new way. As Paul says in Philippians 4.8, we're to start thinking about what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. And how do I do that? I have to get control over what I watch and what I listen to and what I read and what I think about. And that's a challenge. Have you ever noticed that every time you sit down to read the Scriptures, your mind comes up with a whole lot of other options? Why don't we read the newspaper? It's a lot easier. Why don't we just daydream? That's more fun. You ever notice that when you commit yourself to pray, your mind remembers all those things you should be doing? That's why 
In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul uses the analogy of a battle when he says, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are to be like a watchman on the wall. And we are to capture every one of those thoughts that comes into our mind and we're to bring it to Christ in obedience. And to do that requires self-control. We need self-control over our body. We need self-control over our mind. And then the third area I'll underline is that we need self-control over our tongue. The average person engages in 30 conversations a day. You will spend one-fifth of your life talking. You will speak enough words in one year to fill 132 books 400 pages long. Someone has said talk is cheap because supply exceeds demand. The average man speaks 20,000 words a day. The average woman speaks 30,000 words a day. Just reporting the facts. That's why when the average man and woman go off to work, they both spend 20,000 words. They come home, she still has 10,000 left. (laughs) We are a nation of talkers. We have talk radio, we have email, we have interactive TV, we have cellular phones. We love to talk. And with all that talk, at some point your mouth is going to get you in trouble. And when our mouth gets us in trouble, what do we typically say? That's not like me. I don't know where that came from. Well, you know, James tells us exactly where it comes from in James 3.6. Listen to this. He says, The tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. And listen, it is set on fire by hell. Now that's a pretty strong statement. We have a direct natural gas line to hell. And it's connected to our tongues. And that's why if you're going to have victory in your Christian walk, you're going to have to get control of this little muscle inside your mouth. In fact, earlier in James chapter 3, James tells us that the tongue is like the bit in a horse's mouth. And if you can control your tongue, you can control your entire body. And if you don't control your tongue, here's what James says in James 1.26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. What spells the difference between a religion that is worthless and one that is worth everything? Self-control. The details of self-control are that you need it over your body, over your mind, and over your tongue. 
And then secondly, let's talk about the danger of self-control. The danger of self-control is that you listen to what I'm saying this morning and then you try to accomplish it the world's way. Because the world's idea of self-control is self-in-control. I call the shots. I do my own thing. But see, we need to understand that the issue here behind self-control is God in control. And that can be hard for us to grasp because we live in a society that is saturated with self. You go into a bookstore today, you'll find one of the largest sections is entitled Self-Help Books. Here are some of the most popular titles. The Art of Learning to Love Yourself. Celebrate Yourself. Self-Esteem. You're Better Than You Think. Learning the language of self-affirmation. Self-esteem, the new reformation. And if you care to read these books, they will tell you, don't use words like self-criticism, self-denial, self-discipline, self-sacrifice. Those words might hurt your self-esteem. Instead, you need to be using words like self-confidence, self-expression, self-assertion, self-indulgence, self-realization, self-approval, self-actualization. You see, in essence, they are simply saying there's really one and only one commandment. And that commandment is, I am the Lord my God, and I shall have no other gods before me. Out of 600,000 words in the English language, the average American only knows somewhere between 10 and 20,000. And according to the idea management company, we only use about half the words we actually know. They go on to say that 25% of the average American speech is made up of only 10 basic words. And a mere 50 words makes up 60% of our speaking vocabulary. 60% of the time, you're only saying 50 words. But you know what word we use more than any other? We use it more than the word the, we use it more than the word a. Out of 600,000 words, the most often used is I. As Pogo said, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in contrast to what we're hearing all around us. Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Society says deify yourself. Jesus says... Deny yourself. And by the way, what is the end result of a society where self is in control? Back in Galatians chapter 5, we read about it in verse 19. Paul says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. And that word flesh is just a synonym for self. The deeds of self are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like 
these. You see, that's the danger. And then thirdly, I want us to see the demand of self-control. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Remember, the word flesh is a synonym for self. The only way to bring self under control is that self must die. That's the demand. See, you can't just give the flesh some Advil. You can't just give the flesh some tranquilizers. Flesh must die. And there's only one way that the self can die, and that's by crucifixion. But I want to tell you something this morning that I have learned the hard way, and that is that self dies hard. Self is like a cat. It has nine lives. And it will make any concessions if you will allow it to live. But self must die. Paul illustrates that back in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, I, speaking of self, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. There was a great preacher who lived over a hundred years ago named S.D. Gordon. He said this, In every man's life, there is a throne. When self is on that throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on that throne, self is on the cross. I want to ask you a personal question right now. In your life, as you sit here this morning, where is Christ and where is self? If self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. If Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. And by the way, there is no middle ground. A.W. Tozer said it this way, self is one of the toughest plants that grows in the garden of life. It is, in fact, indestructible by any human means. Just when we are sure it is dead, it turns up somewhere as robust as ever to trouble our peace and poison the fruit of our lives. The victorious Christian neither exalts self nor downgrades self. His interest has totally shifted from self to Christ. What he is or is not no longer concerns him. He believes that he has been crucified with Christ and he is not willing to either praise or deprecate such a man. Someone once asked George Mueller, what is the secret of your great life? And George Mueller replied, there was a day when George Mueller died. He died to his ambitions, his goals, his wants, and his desires. And he said, once and for all, Christ is my life, and my life totally belongs to him. When you come to that point in your life, 
then you will experience self-control. But then fourthly and finally, I want to talk about the delight of self-control. Now, we've been talking about dying to self, and that may sound rather dreadful and rather painful. In fact, it is. But it's the only way to get to the greatest delight of life. Listen again to what A.W. Tozer says. It is never fun to die, to rip through the dear and tender stuff of which life is made can never be anything but deeply painful. Yet that is what the cross did to Jesus, and, is, and it is what the cross would do to every man to set him free. The cross is rough, and it is deadly, but it is effective. It does not keep its victim hanging there forever. There comes a moment when its work is finished, and the suffering victim dies. After that is resurrection glory and power and the pain is forgotten for joy. We see that same principle in Galatians chapter 5. If you look again at verse 24, it says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In verse 24, we're crucified. In verse 25, we're walking. In verse 24, we're dead in the flesh. In verse 25, we're alive in the Spirit. Now let me just point out a couple real obvious things. Number one, the cross is always followed by the resurrection. Death in Christ always leads to life in Christ. In Philippians 3.10, Paul expresses one of his heart's desires. He says, that I may know the power of his resurrection. And then at the end of that verse, he tells us the key to that. He says, by being conformed to his death. When I am conformed to his death, then I experience the power of his resurrection. See, resurrection power only operates in one kind of person. And that's a dead person. If you want resurrection life, you first got to have crucifixion death to self. And then let me point out a second obvious thing. Verse 25 shows us that self-control is not a work. It's a walk. It's not something I work at in my power. It's something I walk in, in the power of the Spirit of God. Teenagers, maybe you went on a date this weekend. Who was in control? You or Jesus? Husbands, in the way you treat your wife, who is in control? You or Jesus? Ladies, in the way you deal with your children at home, who is in control? You or Jesus? You see, if you are working to control yourself, you are doomed to fail because you can't do it. You may be saying today, I have made a mess of my life. That doesn't surprise me because that's all that self can do. 
Let me underline this for you again. Self-control is not the fruit of self-effort. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. And you will never live in the Spirit until you die to the flesh. You see, right now, one of two things is true about you and the way you're living. Either you are controlling self by the power of the Spirit, or self is controlling you. You say, I've got this problem with alcohol, I can't control it. I've got this problem with my thought life, I can't control it. I've got this problem with my tongue, I can't control it. I've got this problem with my time. I can't control it. What's the answer? Well, the answer is real simple. You just come to God and say, I abdicate the throne. And I want to die to self. And Lord Jesus, you take the throne of my life. And I will walk in obedience in your spirit.